0: Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host Andrew Schiestel and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. I'm joined today with Dr. Michael Kolakowski for a conversation about the life of the Roman Emperor Hadrian. In the conversation we're going to explore more about what's known of Hadrian's life including the early period of his life, his career as an emperor of the Roman Empire, and the later period of his life. Dr. Kulikovsky is professor and head of the Department of History at Penn State University in the U.S. He's the author of numerous publications, including a couple books as examples. The first one, The Triumph of Empire, The Roman World from Hadrian to Constantine, and the sequel, The Tragedy of Empire, From Constantine to the Destruction of Rome in Italy. Both books were published by Harvard University Press. Welcome to the call, Michael. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So who was the Roman Emperor? hadrian
1: Uh, hadrian was um the first uh, roman emperor to have a fully provincial background that means that he himself was um from a long past conquest uh, of the roman republic um and he was really the first roman emperor to embrace the culture of the greek world and make Mm. the greek world that had been conquered by rome over a hundred years before um, part of the, um, the really the governing culture of the, the empire
0: okay, so you mentioned provincial. Um, can you speak more about that, including where where he was born
1: sure sure thing um, so the roman pro- the Roman republic over th- over a period of three hundred years had conquered a huge span of territory um, from what we now think of as sort of Syria and Egypt all the way over to um, Britain and what's now France and what's now Spain and North Africa and gradually over time uh, people in these provinces gained Roman citizenship and were able to join the Roman governing elite. and so Hadrian comes from a Spanish family um, who his father uh, settled in Italy. Um, Hadrian himself grew up mostly in Italy but he always thought of himself as having a a real true homeland, a patria, as they say in in, in Latin, uh, in Spain at a place called Italica, which is now near Seville.
0: Hmm. And what uh, year was he born?
1: He was born in the year 76 AD, um, and he became emperor in his 40s in the year AD 117.
0: Where would he fall in the order, in the pantheon of Roman emperors?
1: Well, he was um the we we think of him as one of the first uh, as the second of the so-called five good emperors which is uh the emperors that um, ruled from the end of the second imperial dynasty up through the um, end of the second century a.d so the first imperial dynasty was founded by augustus um, the great nephew of julius caesar and um, his dynasty was called julio claudian Uh, The Julio-Claudians petered out with the death of Nero, and after a civil war in the year 68-69, a new dynasty took power, um, which we call Flavian. Mm. And when the Flavian dynasty ended in the murder of its last emperor, we have a series of um, emperors, uh, the third of whom is Hadrian.
0: Okay. So he was born in what would be modern-day Spain, so I guess I- Iberia, at, or his- Hispania at the time? Is that what it would have been called? Uh,
1: he, his, family is from, his, his family is from from Iberia, from Hispania. Uh, he himself was born in, uh, in Italy himself.
0: Okay, he was born in Italy, I understand. Okay, um, what do scholars know about his early life from uh, like how he was educated and uh, any mentors that he might have had that were significant along the way? Well,
1: his father was um, a first cousin of a leading Roman general who became emperor, um, so that was the Emperor Trajan. And so Hadrian's father was closely connected to um, one of the leading elite families, um, also of Spanish descent, Uh, and so Hadrian grew up with all of the sort of standard um, training that young Roman aristocrats got, and that means... uh, being taught from a young age by um, uh, by what they called um, a grammarian, a grammaticus, so he learned mm-hmm. how to read and write Greek and Latin, and and then in his teens he would have started studying with uh, what the the sort of secondary school with what they called a rhetor, and that was where you learn public speaking in both Greek and in Latin at this period, uh, how to address large audiences, how to give flowery speeches, how to conduct yourself as a gentleman would. Mm. And he also, of course, at this time would have been learning as an aristocratic um, Roman, how things like how to ride well, how to, how to work with weaponry, how to, you know, how to, um, how to hunt, hunting was something that he, Hadrian was quite passionate about. uh, And the Spanish aristocracy is was the Spanish, Spanish Romans were known as big hunters. Um, and so this is the sort of thing that hunting, of course, you know, was good training for warfare and a young man of Hadrian's class could be assumed that he'd spend some time as an officer, as a junior officer um, in the Roman armies, particularly as it turned out because, um, his, um, because his uncle Trajan, his great uncle Trajan, um, was a uh, great military, was a huge mm-hmm. um, military um, conqueror.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was he already in Rome at this point when he was doing his education?
1: Yes, he was. uh, He was educated in Italy.
0: Okay. Was he was he being was he being groomed to be a future Roman emperor at that time?
1: Uh, When he was a young man, um, his, you know, his um, Trajan was not yet. It didn't look like Trajan was likely to become emperor. Nobody expected Trajan to become emperor until um until the year uh 97 uh ad so when when hadrian was just getting the sort of I mean, he was closely connected you know he was he was he was well connected um but people wouldn't have thought of him as naturally um imperial material uh any more than any other man of his social mm-hmm. class would have been imperial material and um and in fact he was by no means considered even when he became emperor he was he was really not the favored choice of a, quite a lot of the Roman aristocracy, there were lots of other people who who could have become emperor and hmm. he became emperor um, in part because of trajan trajan's widow who um, who really really was um, sort of the uh, the patron of that Hadrian had after Trajan became emperor
0: okay can you yeah, can you share that's probably a good segue for his accession to becoming emperor and uh, so can you share more about that including how he goes from so he's not like he's uh Trajan's son he's it sounds like he's uh the son of the cousin of Trajan so can you share more about uh, his accession to becoming the emperor
1: yeah roman families had a great uh, had always had a long tradition of um adopting people uh, adopting sons from outside the family um you know in order to stop to stop families from dying out really and um and trajan had no no sons um and he and Hadrian married a great niece of of Trajan. Uh, and so that was what brought him into the sort of a family orbit. And he learned, you know, he then became sort of, um, you know, a, a junior counselor with Trajan. He, he learned, he went on some campaigns with with Trajan. He sort of learned how to be in government Um with a great general like Trajan, he learned uh, he learned the military arts that way, and he came to the attention of Trajan's wife, who's uh, who uh, is, no, is named Plotina And um, Plotina clearly favoured Hadrian, and you know there was there was uh, that was sometimes thought of as scandalous to be to owe your career to us to a, the empress, uh, and people who didn't like Trajan, uh, who people who didn't like Hadrian made a big deal out of this but it is quite clear that um empresses who had a great deal of political influence um could push you know some people out of the limelight and push some people into the limelight and hadrian was one of those so uh towards the very end of his life trajan invaded um what's now the middle east uh was then the emperor the empire of the parthians and he conquered Uh, Mesopotamia, the region between the Euphrates and the Tigris in Iraq now, Mm -hmm. um, all the way down to the Persian Gulf. And um, that was uh, Trajan's final campaign. Uh, He Mm -hmm. died towards the end of it, and his death was covered up until Hadrian could be um, brought to the imperial army and presented to the soldiers, uh, at which point he was acclaimed as emperor um and it's almost certainly uh Plotina who made sure that trajan's death was was kept under wraps until Hadrian could be uh, become emperor
0: interesting okay um what's known about his family did um did he have was he married um Hadrian did he have any children
1: uh Hadrian did not have children he was married uh Hadrian was um a, a new, hadrian hadrian's romantic affection was for other men there was no question that um, that hadrian was gay and um that he was married because as a good roman male you had to be married but he and his wife um really seem not to have got along at all um sabina mm-hmm. or sabina is her name and uh, and although they were you know uh, for reasons of state uh, traveled together and saw one another uh, everywhere um in, and she was of just as distinguished a background as he was they had absolutely no liking for one another mm-hmm. and um and so tra uh, so hadrian like trajan before him ended up having eventually to find a successor from outside his own personal uh, kinship
0: group mm, okay and we'll probably get to that in terms of uh, succession at at some point Sure. did he keep his um uh sexuality um uh out of the public light?
1: No, actually I mean what made what made Hadrian, Hadrian very interesting is that the sort of Romans didn't really you know, re, the, the the sort of anti-gay prejudice that that exists in our society was very very different. Um it's a totally to, culturally very different in the Roman world. Um and so male homosexuality was uh considered something that uh, was originally a Greek sort of thing, a Greek cultural phenomenon, and so it was looked at. It, it was looked down on to a certain extent by by Romans as by Latin speakers. On the other hand, um, everybody understood that that men could enjoy having sex with other, with other men, and this was um, something that Romans didn't have a big deal with. What they uh, what they could object to culturally was romantic affection between men. That was sort of something that Greeks did and was a little bit. Um, mm. A little bit off, a little bit funny. And Hadrian was somebody who actually made no secret of the fact that he, he was romantically attracted to other men. So including a, a boy favorite that he, um, he met not long after he became emperor and who became sort of clearly the romantic focus of Hadrian's life.
0: Okay. So he becomes emperor. Uh, can yes. you share more about his uh, reign?
1: Sure. He became, becomes emperor in the year 117. And as he's becoming emperor, all of Trajan's new conquests are basically on fire. There's a you know the 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 period the the area between um, the area between the Tigris and Euphrates is completely in revolt. Uh, Hadrian gives up the new conquests altogether, makes peace with the Parthian Empire, um, and then stays out of the way until potential rivals for the for the throne can be got rid of. So he stays with the, with the army and doesn't go back to Rome until four leading senators um, and and you know truly great men in, in the political firmament of the empire are murdered, and he always he always disclaims responsibility for the murder of these four men, who could have been his rivals. Nobody believed him, and what it does is it sets his reign off on a politically very bad footing the rest of the senate in in this period um, emperors were not sort of were not meant to be lords they were not meant to be dominators of the aristocracy they were meant to be one senator among many they were meant to present themselves in that way and when they failed to present themselves in that way for instance by having four other senators murdered um, they got unpopular and Hadrian never really recovered his popularity um, after his accession. He was very, he was a very effective emperor, but in Rome itself, in Rome itself, he was never popular. The Senate never, never warmed up to it. Where he was really popular was in the Roman provinces, and that's why he spent most of his reign traveling. He is, uh, he, from the beginning to the end of the Roman imperial history, Hadrian was the one emperor to have visited almost every single province. Mm-hmm. most Roman emperors didn't didn't travel to more than a handful, and Hadrian was constantly on the move, partly because he liked it, partly because he was just not popular in Rome
0: what um, so he sounds like he might have been involved in the assassination of some politicians in in Rome. you say he he denied it um, so. Can you explain more about, um, so it's now the empire, it's the Roman Empire. Would would he not have a lot of control and say in who would be his successor? Um, or And or was there um, a threat that he perceived of uh, a group trying to overthrow his rule?
1: Well, the interesting thing, and you know, this is something that, that it's, it's sort of hard to explain until... You spend some time with this material so uh, I'll, I'll just take a minute to uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the strange thing about the roman empire uh, particularly at this period is that it's n- even though it is not even though it functions as a monarchy right with uh, the mm-hmm. emperor basically being the sole ruler and and, a, and an autocrat the fiction of the empire is that the emperor is chosen freely and given the rights to rule of a magistrate so potentially anybody of the Mm. same rank anybody who's a senator anybody who's held all the right offices anybody who's done well in the public career could become emperor and that had happened in the past so it's this weird balancing of fiction the reality being that you had to have some support in the senate you had to have real support from the army um, and you had to have support from the citizenry in Rome, because you didn't want the big capital city of the empire rioting against you. Um, so this, this polite fiction was that Hadrian was, you know, a, the a peer of the rest of the senatorial aristocracy, as well as the commander-in-chief of the armed forces, as well as the patron of all Roman citizens. But that also meant that somebody else could take it away from him. And that's what the okay. fear of all Roman emperors were. Uh, was that, that that somebody would go ahead and take take away the take away the power that that was not you know absolute it was not absolute
0: okay understood how was he has as a military leader while being an emperor
1: he was a, he himself loved to put the troops through exercises he loved drill he loved preparedness he traveled to the frontiers he in fact he's in some ways responsible for building the roman frontier as a as um, a series of fortifications he's you know responsible for obviously the big wall in the north of britain um, but also the there's a huge series of fortifications in the the caucasus in africa along the edge of the sahara desert and all of these things date back to hadrian's time Um, he himself was leery of major campaigns of conquest in part because there was no way he could really compete there was no any anybody could compete with his predecessor trajan in terms of actually conquering territory trajan had been the great and uh, would would be held up until the end of the roman empire as being the greatest conqueror ever in roman history and so so hadrian didn't really launch many campaigns and this roman empire was always there was always low level fighting all around the frontiers right and but hadrian's concern was really that the troops became um Garrisons, they became defensive troops, and they became brilliant engineers of walls and of, and of fortifications. And Hmm. many of the great cities of Europe are started out as legionary camps. And this would be the period in which they really got their their star.
0: Hmm. Um, You mentioned he took a liking to the provinces during his reign. You also mentioned he was disliked a lot in, in Rome. Do you think, he took a liking to the provinces because it was more comfortable to not be in Rome, um, or do you think there was some other reason?
1: Well, I think that because of his, although, although he himself was Italian uh, by birth, his, his provincial descent, the fact that he came from a family that still had deep roots in Spain, mm-hmm. made him more more receptive to the idea of of there being a sort of universal Roman empire with citizens everywhere. Okay. I think that. So I think he was more receptive to that than his predecessors would ever be. He recognised um, that the the idea of the, the Roman ness was becoming much more universal, much more geographically widespread. I think the other thing, though, is that Hadrian loved Greek culture far more than any other emperor before him, and more than many after him. He he had studied as Athens as he, at Athens for a while as a young man. He preferred speaking Greek mm. to speaking Latin. he studied um, Greek literature, Greek philosophy, and so he loved traveling in the Greek world where people really were he had um, he had a reputation of being a Phil Helly right, a lover of the, of the Greeks a lover of mm. the Greek world and so I think that the just simply the I, I think we can go as far as call it adulation that he received in the Greek world really was very you know congenial to him, and so he spent a lot of his he spent a lot of his political capital and gave a lot of his face time sort of to to the greeks to the greek the cities of mainland greece and then also of all of the sort of greek world that had been created after alexander the great
0: okay how would you describe during his reign how was he as a politician
1: um as a politician he was probably not great right? he was a it depends on who you it depends, he wasn 't great with, other, with the other leading men of the empire, for sure he left trusted advisors to take care of Rome to manage the Senate to manage you know political day to day political affairs in in Rome. He, he left that to people he trusted and so I guess that could make you could claim that that makes him a good politician that he, he knew how to pick um, good supporters. but he himself stayed out of the way when it came to high politics. What he was really good at was the sort of politics of I, mean, I would go almost so far as to call it populist politics, of being seen to be an emperor, of being seen by the troops who loved him, of being seen by the citizens of, you know, of Athens, of Corinth, of all of these Greek cities in Asia Minor. Um, and there he was, you know, he, he brought the face of, of imperial rule, the notion that the empire was a universal thing and that the emperor was the protector of all of the empire's inhabitants. He embodied that role as nobody else had done before, in part because he took it to the people where they were, instead of just having it proclaimed from, you know, from, from Rome itself.
0: Is there anything uh, in evidence that describes the type of person he was from a temperament, uh, a composure, uh, you know, was he aff- affable, was he easy to get along with, anything like that?
1: Left um, From what we can tell, uh, so... We we do have a we have a relatively reliable biography of him um, that that survives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mem- he wrote his own memoirs that don't survive, even though there's a famous even though there's a famous novel uh, okay. that that pretends to be his memoirs. Um, but we have a good sense, a relatively good sense of him. And I think the best thing you could say is that he was not an easygoing man. He was maybe a little bit melancholic, maybe a little bit um, depressive, um, and he could be sharp with those around him. He, he didn't know how to sort of, you know, um, get along, necessarily, and just put others at ease. Um, and that might also be part of the reason that he liked spending his time with the soldiers and exercising with them and watching their exercises and so on, is that mm. he could put off the social unease that he felt, um, he felt with other Roman, Latin-speaking senators. Mm. It's also clearly why he enjoyed going and spending time in, in Athens and and sort of playing at being um, a Greek from a much, much more ancient culture. So mm. I, I, I think it's safe to say he was never happier than when he was visiting Athens.
0: Interesting. How do you as a historian then, it, this is interpretive, how do you uh, interpret then on one hand, he seems like he was, can, could be difficult to get along with, but then on the other hand, he seemed very out, outgoing publicly. How, how do you interpret that dichotomy?
1: Well, I think it's I think it's the case that a lot of um, a lot of historical figures, and I think a lot of leading historical figures, probably have have a have a sharp contrast between um, the public face where they're performing a version of themselves publicly, mm-hmm. and then what they're like in private or semi-private with those of their own, you know, their own inner circle of their own class. And I think that mm-hmm. um, Hadrian's a, f- a, f- a fine example of this is that when he was on display to a big mixed audience he sh- he really shone and then when he was trying to negotiate one on one with you know with other with other senators others of senatorial background he could put them off right and he wasn't he wasn't affable enough to make them feel at ease um, where uh, and then in the greek world though it's quite clear speaking greek and and visiting with other greeks and you know talking about uh, ancient greek culture ancient athenian culture talking about greek mythology um, memorializing the ancient past of Greece, that put him at ease. And he, so that's why I think he was really, he spent more time in the Greek East than he did in the Latin West. And he was, and I think he was happier there.
0: Hmm. What was his later life like?
1: His later life was um, taken up by, uh, again, ceaseless travel. Um traveled to Egypt. He was, uh, he traveled up the Nile, which is where the, the, where antinous the great love of his life drowned in the nile um and uh but the later life was increasingly ab- surrounded by questions about who would succeed him right there was no obvious successor um to him and so the, the question was who was he going to adopt what was the what what was going to look like who was going to claim the imperial title um after after his death, and um, the, I think I think the again the speculation about about that was really the dominant political question mm-hmm. in the later reign. Um, at the same time, you know, the later reign was a period of of um, great turmoil with the the tremendous revolt of um, Bar Kokhba in um, in uh, Judea, and mm-hmm. um, so the Jewish war, the Jewish war, um, and then. Uh, again, of um, disturbances along many many frontiers, which required Hadrian to go there and sort of be seen by the soldiers to to help um, protect you know protect the provinces and so so Spain or Britain uh, or, or what's now Germany for instance.
0: Okay, and as a point of clarification, was Antinous was that a male partner of his?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, Antinous was a, a boy from a uh, city in Asia Minor from. And um, that Hadrian might have perhaps met as early as the year 121, um, and who uh, travelled with Hadrian and and the imperial party for as much as the next decade before he um, uh, on the on the imperial tour up the Nile up to the up, to Upper Egypt um, drowned uh, in the Nile, and Hadrian named cities after him, issued coins in his honour. Um, and it was sort of one of the most public displays of wealth uh, of, of, of public displays of spending wealth to memorialize this, this sort of beautiful youth who had died too young.
0: Okay. Um, how old would he have been? Uh, Antinous.
1: Or Antinous. Antinous. Antinous would have been, uh, we we don't honestly know, but I mean, probably in his twenties.
0: Okay. Can you share more about the, the succession, um, the next emperor that follows, and also his Hadrian's death?
1: Sure thing. Um, the the succession is is very complicated, and and, and
0: you can give the brief <laughs> version. I was going to say it's complicated even for the historian who studies
1: it, and you still need to need family trees to make sense of it. But what I will basically say is that um, Hadrian found a um, first adopted somebody a non-entity to become the successor uh and that successor died suddenly so he ended up instead turning to um a couple of senators who were required to change their names and uh and to go through a whole series of adopt adopting one another and changing their names mm. so that ultimately um the emperor that we know as um Elias Antoninus, or, Ant- or Antoninus Pius, becomes Hadrian's successor. But already before Hadrian dies, the succession to Antoninus Pius, the adoption by Antoninus Pius of two other young men, uh, uh, Lucius Verus and Marcus Aurelius, as they would become, okay. uh, had already been determined before Hadrian's death. And so that was another interesting sort of, um, for the first time, a precedent uh, of. Hadrian trying to establish a succession that would last into the, into a second full generation. And in, as it in fact did.
0: So Antonius Pius, um, succeeds him. If you were to, yeah, if you were to in, in brief, explain the relationship to him, how would you describe that?
1: Uh, Antonius Pius was, uh, was another Senator, um, and it's connected by a series of marriages to other more distant bits of hadrian's family that's that's the easiest way to put it yeah uh,
0: distant family member <laughs> yeah, distant, di- distant, distant distant family
1: member by marriage
0: yeah, okay distant um, distant distant family member <laughs> yeah you got it you put out the point across <laughs> okay how did he die uh
1: tuberculosis he okay. died he died of tuberculosis um He was sickening for quite some time and um he died in the year 138 um and uh and that was um the that was sort of on the on the first of january right so he was he was so he died just into the new year of 138 and uh his successor then took over entirely smoothly uh with there was no question of anything at all succession was lined up, and uh, Pius, you know, there were, there were quite a lot of senators who wanted to do nothing about Hadrian's memory, who wanted to sort of just put him behind them. And Pius got his, got that name, Pius, that we called him, in part because he was so successful in getting the Senate to honor Hadrian, Hadrian's uh, memory, as Hadrian would have wished, uh, you know, with, and, um, and his mausoleum can still be seen in Rome. It's now the Castel San Angelo on the banks of the Tiber in Rome, mm. uh, a mausoleum that Adrian had built for himself while he was still alive.
0: Okay. So during his reign, if you were to think from when he basically starts ruling to the end of his reign, how would you describe how Rome changed one way or another?
1: I think the single biggest, uh, apart from t- uh, two things, I think actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah
1: historians can never ever give you just one. answer. You're always. Have to give two. And um, one of them is that for the very first time, the Roman Empire became a sort of stable geographical entity, as opposed to being something that was that was in flux that could always get bigger. Hadrian's reign, saw it saw the edges being put on. And that's really very, very significant. That from Hadrian's wall down to the Sahara, down to the frontiers of you know, in, in what's now Turkey and Armenia um the, Ro- the roman empire stabilized geographically i think that's really really significant for the future um that it wasn't going to just keep growing forever and then the second thing is for the very very first time the elites of the greek world joined the governing aristocracy of the empire so this was the fusion the fusion of greek and, and latin elites mm-hmm. happened because of hatred and that's why, why we, when, we, when we talk about ancient culture we talk about Greco-Roman. We talk about Greco-Roman in part because those cultures fused to a very very large extent and they and they, Hadrian both embodied that personally but also brought in all of these rich Greeks who had been had lots of status but not much political power and not much political interest in the governance of empire. Hadrian brought them in and that was that that really determined the future deter, determine the future of, of Roman history. I mean it's the reason that the Roman Empire survived. In, you know, ultimately in Constantinople for a thousand years longer than it did in, in Rome.
0: This was a great chat, Michael. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So, again, everybody, if you'd like to pick up either of Dr. Kolakowski's books that I referenced at the start of the episode, The Triumph of Empire, The Roman World from Hadrian to Constantine, and the sequel, The Tragedy of Empire from Constantine to the Destruction of Roman Italy. I'll drop links to both these books in the show notes to this episode on its associated subpage at Ithacabound.com. Michael and everybody listening, as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.